0: Like if you want to go out the door and just run, I think we all need that for mental health. We definitely all have those days where like, I cannot wait to put on my shoes and get the F out the door and just, just leave it. Diz Runs Radio episode 699
1: starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running life and everything in between i'm your host denny cray and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation so if you're ready then i'm ready let's get started Hey guys, uh, real quick before we dive into today's episode of the show, just want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by the folks over at ExoSkin. And uh, one of the things I love most about ExoSkin, which if if you're not familiar with the company, uh, they they make a lot of base layer type of gear, um, dry fit type of of fabrics uh, from tops, shirts, uh, you know, long sleeve, short sleeve, no sleeve to uh, shorts to to you know tights kind of capri length tights uh both for men and women so great for recovery great for for running in wearing it underneath you know clothes things like that they also have socks uh you different different cuts different heights uh toe socks no toe socks but one of the things i love most about my my Exoskin gear from the, the socks to the shirts is uh, the the very noticeable lack of seams um, when it comes to the socks? There's basically one seam kind of around the top, you know, where your where it sets around your ankle, which makes it makes it great for your toes uh, and less likely for friction down there. And I've been kind of surprised with the shirts as well with the tops. Uh, again, just how few seams that, the the website claims that there's 90% fewer seams, and I, I I'm not doing the math, I'm not adding up the the total length of of seams uh, on my you know exoskin gear versus my non exoskin gear, but uh, definitely noticing that there's not a whole lot of seams in the in the tops either, I, and I don't know exactly how they do it. Um, I mean, there's a seam around the shirt or around the the neck hole. Uh, I feel like there's a seam around you know the, at the end of the sleeves at the arms, and that's like pretty much it. Uh, you know, no seams on the side of the shirts, no seams, uh, anywhere else really. Um, which is pretty crazy. I don't, I don't know what kind of, of, voodoo they, they put into, uh, putting their gear together, but I'll tell you what, it makes it super comfortable and, uh, definitely, you know, wearable without rubbing, which is, which is the name of the game, right? Whatever, whatever gear you're wearing, whatever shirts, shorts, socks, whatever. Uh, if you can avoid the rub, avoid the chafe. That's what you want, and uh, Exoskin definitely brings it in that department. You know, fewer seams means fewer rubs, means fewer chafes. So uh, definitely, definitely worth it. Definitely worth something to, to check out if you haven't done so already. Exoskin.us is the website, and make sure you use the code DizRuns at checkout. It'll save you twenty percent, and uh, you know that's that's a, a decent little chunk. Um, so definitely get some some really good gear uh, at pretty much the best price you're going to find. Uh, you know, once you once you throw that discount code in there. So uh, exoskin.us, code Dizruns at checkout. And uh, we'll talk more about that a little bit. But for now, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey, guys. Uh, today's show is going to be a little different than most uh, because my guest isn't as much of a runner as most folks that come on the show are. But uh, stick with it as I definitely have a feeling that there's going to be plenty of things uh, with today's chat that are going to make it very much uh, worth your time. Like I said, he's not much of a runner, um, but he's he is into more of the endurance, uh, athletic scene and, and coaching scene at the cycling and triathlon level, um, international worldwide, uh, working with, with a bunch of, of people literally all over the world. Um, and kind of his angle of coaching, which is something that we've talked about before on the show, but uh, probably going to talk about a bit more today is to, to place a real heavy emphasis on the value of strength training, um, which I know that there's a few of you, most of you maybe. That uh, are lacking in that department, and this—you know—this guy talking on the microphone right now, he might be lacking in that department a little bit too. So we can all have a few things to learn today uh, from my guest, who's, like I said, a uh, uh, coach in the triathlon scene, the cycling scene. He's been featured in a, a bunch of, of publications, from Shape to Men's Health, Women's Health, cycling magazines, all all over the place, all across the board. Uh, he's a fellow CSCS, which is a Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, so we can speak some of that language t- together as well. Um, although we'll try to keep it simple for all of you. Uh, that, that don't speak the, the technical side of uh, physiology and kinesiology and all that good stuff. but uh, And he's also, one other thing you know, that we'll also maybe get to a little bit as well, recently launched his own podcast, which is always exciting to talk to to fellow podcasters as well. So um, I think that's that's all of the, the intro notes that I have. So uh, well, we'll just go ahead and welcome uh, Mr. Menachem Brody to the show. Uh, and he goes by his last name most of the time. So uh, welcome, welcome and thanks for joining us today, Brody.
0: Thanks, Denny. Much appreciated. I think we should start off talking about the thoracolumbar fascia. That should be an epoplidious. <laughs> oh, little, Lord. Everyone's like, whoops, uh, we're not going to listen yeah, to that skip, episode.
1: Skip to the next one now. So hold on there. <laughs> hold on, Brody. We, we got we to gotta bury that a little bit. Don't don't lead with that kind of stuff. Uh, but guys, if you want to find out more about Brody, what he's got going on, uh, some of the, the, the things that he has available, which he has a bunch of things going on, various courses, programs, all kinds of great information. Uh, humanvortextraining.com is the website. You can find him on on social medias with with that same handle across pretty much all the places. Instagram, Twitter at HV Training. You know, Facebook, Human Vortex Training, YouTube. He's got a YouTube channel as well, uh, which I don't know. youtubecom slash Human Vortex Training or something like that. But if you just search Human Vortex Training on YouTube, uh, we'll have it, or you'll be able to find it. Uh, and, and Ellen, maybe you can track it down and put it in the show notes for us as well. So anybody who wants to to find the, the videos uh, can just head over to the uh, the show notes page for today. Where obviously we'll have everything linked up. com slash 699 is the link to get to uh, today's show notes uh, and photos and all of those good types of things. So uh, Brody, the way we always uh, start off the show uh, is to ask a, a simple question, which for... for you know, typically it's, it's running related. And, and I know, like we said, you're not as much of a runner as you do, but, but running is still a little bit of a part of your life. So, um, we'll just, we'll just throw this question out there. You can answer it in whatever form or fashion that seems like it makes the most sense. Uh, but it's just how we always get it started. So I have to ask, what is your favorite
0: distance to race and why? So my favorite distance, if I could ever make it to the start line, uh, would be a 10 K. And that's something that, uh, that's been my path to getting to be where I am as a coach. I was very average. Uh, I started running back in high school. I was a basketball player. I played a little bit of hockey. I played goalie. Uh, so conditioning, that's how I also got into biking. I would use the airdyne to stay in shape as most of the professional and, and minor league players uh, would do the goalies. And, um, <clears throat> Really my running story story started in college. My one of my best friends from childhood moved back. Uh I think he was at Ithaca if I'm not mistaken. He moved back to Pittsburgh. I kind of uh, stayed at their place on the weekends. I was living at home going to college and we started running uh at night. That was our thing. Like we both worked uh and our way through school. Uh so he would get back and we would go out for I don't know. We didn't have Strava yet, but it was roughly let's say three to five miles at a time. So not too far off from a 10K. Most of it was like trail running. And um, we got about four or five months in and we were like like two to three days a week. We both did strength training and that's how we managed to not get injured, honestly. And then just, I don't know, month four, month five is when I started to have uh, some hip pain and I, I, looked at shoes, I looked at this, I looked at my strength. I was like, okay, my glutes aren't that weak and my core's not that great. Let me fix it up. And it, it just kept coming up and up and up. And I finally was like, I love, I, I enjoy, can't do it. Cause like, I, I can't sit for like a day and a half after comfortably. I have to keep screaming in my chair and that's kind of my, my, my whole story. Uh, same for cycling. You know, I just, when I started taking it seriously year three or four, year four of my, my coaching, uh, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to coach these people, I also need to be a good racer. Cause there's something to say for experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I always was like, um, those who cannot do teach like, Oh yeah, right. And you know, Eric Cressy is one, Lauren Landau is another, these are guys who did not play that sport. Um, and Jordan, Joel Jameson, they, they, none of them have played that sport that the athletes that they train have accomplished at a high level. And that's kind of what I've learned along the way is like, it's okay. And if anything, that makes you a better coach because you have to, you have to figure it all out by talking to people. And that gives you a a nice, uh, well-rounded aspect or, or vision of what's going on. And, you know, I've trained uh, first with the running Then I was like, OK, you know what? I'll mix it up. Let me I'll sign up for an Olympic triathlon. And that's how I got into triathlon coaching. Uh, so I started and then I wound up having reconstructive shoulder surgery. <laughs> uh, so then I started riding a bike that actually did really well. That's how I got into coaching cycling. Um, long story short, I've. I've never been able to do it to the level that I'd like to. So on a good week, I'll get three to five miles, maybe. um, And that's usually in small amounts, you know, running with clients. I do a lot of running technique, a lot of speed and agility sessions. Um, My specialty pretty much for triathlon is half Ironman and Ironman distance. um, And I'm very selective over who I take for that and strength training. Um, But all of this kind of came to head because of each of my injuries. I'm like, well. Dude, I need to figure this out. Like, how can I help myself and then athletes would come to me and, "Oh, I hate I heard you had X Y and Z and my my hip is bothering me. Can you help me out?" And I was like, "Actually, well, let's, let's take a look." Um so that that's my that's my thing. And uh I've also been involved with V uh by uh LifeBeam, so the first artificial intelligence uh running coach mm-hmm. uh in the world, which is really cool. I was involved for the first 3 years heavily. And um it, it's just something that I love doing and it's just something when I'm out there, I'm happy. Uh, I enjoy it. My wife is enjoying it. You know, you know, everybody, uh, not everybody. A lot of people come to me and, uh, and you keep people from getting injured. I'm like, well, it's low mileage, speed and strength. Right. Like all oh, strength training. I, I can't touch a weight. I'm going to become the Hulk. I'm like, dude, if you <laughs> only knew how, how many chicken breasts or tofu slabs you'll have to eat.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's certainly one of those, those, Finish um, one run. Yeah, yeah, that, that's one of those big, uh, you know, bits of pushback that, that I hear all the time too is like, you know, I, I the the two big ones when it comes to strength training. We we'll get into this a bit more, uh, I'm sure, because I'm sure that that your experience isn't much different. Uh, but yeah, I want don't want to get too big with with the strength training. Um, and then also the whole um, you know I, I don't have time, and and you know it's it's, it's ridiculous to to think that. But um, going going back into, into your story a little bit, you know, so so you started out you know doing doing some other sports, playing basketball, playing hockey, things like that. Um, and and trying to dabble into running but but kept getting hurt um was was there ever a point along the way where it was just like I mean, because you're still continuing to, to, to mix in some running, and, and, and you know, we were talking before we got started that you know there's a goal to run a race later this, this fall with, with your wife. Mm-hmm. So w- mm-hmm. was there ever a, a time when you were just like, you know what, like this running thing's just not not for me? Let me focus on just strength training and, and maybe do some more bod- some bodybuilding or something like that, or focus more on just riding or swimming or rowing or, or some other form of activity than, than you know what? Why did you keep coming back to try and, try and running again and try and running again as as
0: the injuries kept mounting? Uh, two different reasons. Number one is I really enjoy running. That's something that I, you know, just to be out in nature. I, I love road cycling. I hate the drivers uh, and some of the roads, um, but there's nothing to me. My ideal run is in Pittsburgh in October the leaves have turned so you have the crunch but you also have the pack limestone it's dry uh and it's just you know the sun is coming through just that way early morning through the trees and i think every runner uh in the northeast kind of knows that kind of day where you just go out and you're like i just I don't want to go home. I just want to run forever. Um, And that's why I kept coming back to it is it's it's something I think as a as a coach and as a a movement specialist, I believe that everybody should be able to run a 5k and be able to function for the next week without any injuries. Uh, I think it doesn't mean it's going to be fast, right? but they should be able to run. I think it's a basic human right, essentially. And and we're talking about people who have some movement disabilities as well should still be able to. It's a matter of how fast you're going to go. Uh, like the human body, if you feed and water us with the right amounts of stuff, we can keep going for a very long time at a slow speed. But it's just a sign that uh, you're taking care of the mental and physical. Because as we also know, finishing a 5K, it may seem easy. You're like, oh, it's only 3.1 miles. Like, all right. But then you start doing, even if you're going to walk it, you know, it, it takes time, and it's not easy. Um, so it kind of shows a balance of, of mental uh, acuity and physical uh, health and w- general well-being that I think is important.
1: Yeah, I totally totally agree. And, and um, you know, a few a few this is a couple times now, maybe a few times I don't know. At least at least at least a couple times that you've mentioned this idea of of you know kind of going slow and and um, it's people that listen to the show regularly. We'll we'll know kind of probably well, we'll assume i uh, probably correctly where I'm going with this, but I've I've been uh, a real big fan of heart rate training. I've kind of do- dove, in, dove in, dove in, dived, dived in, dove in,
0: dived, or, in, yeah, dived yeah, in, dived in. weird
1: But I've I've really gotten in. Uh, I'm just going to change change the verb completely. But I, I've really gotten into heart rate training in the last uh, 15, 16 months, something like that, and and really embraced the idea of. Of running easy and and not stressing myself most of the time every once in a while you, you hit it hard but for the most part keeping it easy um and it sounds like you're kind of saying that that's that that's one of the keys to to staying healthy um it, for running running in general which which i also believe in but um again kind of shifting it back to you a little bit with with, with knowing that that's kind of a good way to, to train running running easy and, and not pushing too hard um and you still continuing to, to battle the, the injury bug on and off um, is, I don't know if, if I have a, a question better than, you know, is, is there a disconnect there or, or, or how have you kind of um, come to grips with that from a coaching perspective where if, if one of your athletes is saying, hey, Brody, you know, like I, I get it, but, you know, you're running easy and still getting injured. Like why, why is that the, the end all
0: be all for me? I love that you, uh, you pick that up. Uh, cause that is something a lot of our, well, what races have you done? Triathletes are even worse. What races have you done? Actually? I, and I'm, I'm very, I put it out there. You know, there's no skeletons in the closet. I live my life all out there. Like if you want to ask, you know, I'm, I'm transparent. <laughs> uh, cause I think that that truth and, and being honest is important. Um, uh, but my thing is, you know, there's two things. One, there is a huge caveat to slow. Okay. So we know there was a study done, I believe with Stuart McGregor, uh, even i've been talking about Stuart mcgill all all week uh, (laughs) steven mcgregor at eastern michigan university was one of them and i think there were a couple others done that um they looked at the efficiency of runners um one milers and i also think 5k and they found that their stride efficiency was trash pretty much at their warm-up paces and this kind of ties into any runner who's Really looking for that 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 missing link. There are two books I'd recommend. Number one is The Runner's Edge by Stephen McGregor and uh, Matt Fitzgerald, and number two is Run Faster by Brad Hudson and Matt Fitzgerald. Those are the two books that are going to help you get the most out of your running. Um, so, here's here's where I'm getting at. Number one is too, there is such a thing as too slow. There is such a thing as garbage miles. And I never believed in those miles as a cycling coach, as a running coach, or a triathlon coach. Never. I'm like, so, someone's like, oh, I ran 42 miles last week. I'm like, yes, and your knees beat up, and you can't recover, and you can't hold your tempo pace for longer than 15 minutes. That's trash. Yeah, but I ran 42. Like, who gives a crap? <laughs> like, fantastic. Is there a medal? Do you want a sticker for your car? Um, so. I like to try and teach two things. One, my body just won't allow me to run yet. It's going to happen. I know that I have, uh, my, my one of my hips is not that great. Uh, it's a little bit too free and it's movement that causes me back pain. That's also why I've studied. I, I was on the Brett Contreras train like a decade ago when it was just him in his garage with his iPhone, like taking videos and he had his condo, he had his equipment in his condo. Um, so I've been studying for a number of years, and pretty much it's just my body isn't going to allow me to run distances. I can sprint within reason, um, but I only have so much. And that's where I've gotten into strength training, and that's really helped me. But two things. Number one, uh, I, I am very careful about the zones, the running paces that I have people go to. And this has been a, a big um item of contention with some of my Ironman and half Ironman triathletes Um, because I, I don't have any of my Ironman triathletes or half Ironman run longer than 16 miles. And that 16 miles is one person because she is so tied to having to have that 16 miles. It's deeply embedded in her. And she also knows her body well that when she runs those 16s, excuse me, she knows where she stands and she's the only one. Everybody else, 13 miles or less, that's it and we're running during the rest of the week. And it's kind of like a a mashup between, um, I guess you could say the run faster method, but it's also what I found works with athletes where, uh, it allows them to recover. But, you know, just because my body won't allow me to doesn't mean that we can't get you to run better by allowing you to take advantage of the efficiency, stay out of that gray zone. And if you read the pace zone index, um, on the runner's edge, like there's some really big chunks, like we're talking about Paces, the jumps between some of the the ranges is like forty five seconds. That's right. massive. Right. You know, think about that. That's you going out and mindlessly running versus having a reminder on your watch or just knowing, like, hey, I need to pick it up. I'm going too slow. Like, think about that. Right. Those are garbage miles. You're not efficient enough. You're not getting enough spring in your foot to allow you to prog- to move forward, uh, and it's also just not going to allow you to see a metabolic reward. So if you just love running for the fact of running, great, go for it. It's cool. But if you're like, Hey, I want to stay healthy and I want to have the tissues and the joints work the way they need to probably don't spend too much uh, time in those zones.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's something that is, is hard for people to, to wrap their head around. I, I find it. And I don't know if, if you do as well, but that a lot of people it's, it's um, I, I have most of my athletes are or, or maybe not most anymore. Cause they, they've, they've drunk the Kool-Aid with me. Um, but a lot of people really struggle with going too hard. So they're in that, that gray zone, um, on the, on the, you know, between hard enough to really get the benefits, the physiological benefits and the changes and, and, and what we're going for, but not easy enough to, to be, you know, good, solid base building miles that, that, uh, you know, kind of in that, that black hole of, of not hard enough, but, but too hard. Um, do, do you have any issues with that as well?
0: uh very much actually and this is where i kind of got into the galloway method uh for some time and and some of my athletes really enjoy it they really like the fact that i'm i'm really into that um which is great you know um there's there's nothing wrong with any method chi running pose method galloway all of these different methods brad Hudson, they all work it's a matter of matching the right one to the athlete um my issue with it is that you just have to kind of figure out like what are you in it for right most people as runners we're in it because we love what we're doing and we want to do it for many years to come. And that's where my big selling point, and I always do soft sells. If nobody, like I'm at the point in my career, I've been doing this almost 20 years. Like if somebody doesn't want to do it, I'm not going to chase after them. Like it needs to come from you. And you know, my, my business partner, you know, he's like, Oh, but you got to call the kids and spend hours on the phone with the dads, you know, with the basketball kids. I'm like, no, you need to get the kid and to have that motivation because we're selling We're selling to the kid. If the kid says, hey, I want to do this. The parents want to help their kids as best as they can. And it's up to us to find a price that's reasonable for where they are in life. But it has to come from within. And this is where the strength training, I think this is where we're really seeing a lot of change. A lot of runners are starting to realize, like, number one, why are you stretching your hamstrings at the start line? <laughs> um, uh, hold on. I know this one. Right, right. Because everybody else is doing it. Uh-huh. Exactly. Fantastic. And if everybody else takes Laffy Taffy and puts it at the bottom of their shoe, <laughs> or you can do that, as, you know, a hot one, not, not a cold one. Cause I would just be like ice skating. Right. Um, so th- that's, that's kind of the stuff that we see coming around and, uh, to bring it back full circle. I fully believe that if a person cannot run, you know, when we're first doing the pace zone index, like let's take an example here. So for a 3K, let's say your 3K time is uh, 1810 to 1741, um, which is the pace zone 50. I mean, pretty slow, uh, mm. but I mean, that's a relative. decent time.
1: All well, relative. Right. Yeah,
0: right. So, so like low aerobic to mid-aerobic, um, all the way up to high aerobic, it's pretty straightforward, 1441 to 1137, anywhere in there. And in that aerobic zone, you're going to have different effects on how the energy system is going gonna, is gonna to progress, right? But when we go from high aerobic to threshold, there's a gap of 36 seconds. Your threshold will be 1101 to 1041. And then from threshold to VO2 max, there's another gap mm-hmm. of, what is that, uh, 41 minus 8, so 32 seconds. Right. I mean, these are massive gaps, and this is where most of us like to go because it's comfortable painful. Like I know exactly what to expect when I get there, but it screws with your efficiency, and you don't get one of the four pillars that you have to have uh, in order to see progress throughout your training. If we want to get better as runners, as any athlete, you have to have four things. Number one is metabolic energy systems have to be attuned to doing what you want it to do number two is the neuromuscular system you have to train this is where the running efficiency is important you want to be at that speed where you the the connective tissues and the fascia in the body are actually springing you along number three is hormonal um, and and this is really important and a lot of people kind of kind of skip this um, they don't think about recovery as much as they should or they're doing way too much recovery mm. The more you use a method of recovery, the less effective it's going to be, and we all forget that. So, like ice tanks, yes; flotation tanks, yes. Um, uh, what's it called where you have uh, sensory deprivation? But sometimes it's just the simple things. If you have basadoic overtraining, go to the mountains for a, a long week. Mm-hmm. If you have adisonic overtraining, basadoic is where you're going low intensity, long duration. If you have adisonic, that's high intensity. Go to the beach. And this is tied back, you know, there's a book called The Science of Sports Training by Thomas Kurz, uh, which has pretty much become my my almost Bible in my first 10 years coaching from my mentor. Uh, and this is just, quote, unquote, old school stuff that really works. Mm-hmm. And science is just now catching up like, huh, we should probably do a study on that. And there's all types of stuff. Like if you if we want to nerd out, we can get into the research bias, the publication bias. Oh, yeah. Who's paying for what? And also people just don't know how to read research articles. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, the research article showed that it was non-significant. Well, actually, if you break down, it wasn't significant for everybody, but 40% saw a a reduction of inflammation of X, 30% saw a reduction of of Y minus X, and 15% saw no change at all. So essentially – 85% 85% of the people saw some result from it, but because the right. research was like, overall, it's a mood because its uh, P is less than uh, 0.05 or greater mm-hmm. than 0.05. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where it kind of gets bastardized. And I've done a flip in my career because it used to be like, show me the evidence. And one of my coaches was like, why do you think they study these things? I was like, because they're looking to see uh, how to improve. He's like, no idiot. They're looking to see what the best coaches are doing and why it works. Right. And it was all of a sudden like the halo came down like <laughs> like
1: <sighs> Yeah, it's it's um there's so many so many good things in there and and um definitely uh some some you know looking at the at the research, looking at at the biases. Oh man, we could we could go probably all all day on on those types of topics cuz they're they're just, you know, uh oh, it 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 it's frustrating to, to say the least, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's usually it's it's the yeah, you know, and then the um, you know, like you said, that why why is everybody stretching at the beginning of a race? Because well, that's what everybody's doing. that's because you know, quote unquote, what we've always done. Um, and and you know, I've talked about that before too, where you know, those, those static stretches at the start of a at the start of a race or right before a run, you know, actually makes you you know decreases your power, decreases your your force production, that, that makes you slower uh, in in all it, intensive and purposes. So, yeah, we just. Yeah. Breaking some of those myths, it's, uh, oof, it's, it's difficult, but it's always good to, to find other people out there that are doing, doing the same things and, and trying to get some of that uh, good information out there so that all of us can, can learn from it. And then, like you said, the science will eventually catch up, uh, but sometimes we've got to go with the things that, that just work, even if we're not exactly sure why.
0: Yeah. And a lot of it's on, on how you use it and intent. Mm-hmm. And intent is one of the most underrated things. Like we still barely scratch the surface of psychology. Like my wife just submitted her thesis here. So I'm very well deep into, into the, the psychological stuff, all the books laying around. But, but here's the long and short of it. The intent you do something is going to allow or, or determine rather what the body's re, uh, response is going to be. So if you walk up to a deadlift bar and you're just beginning and there's 50 pounds on the bar this is a 500-pound deadlift, that individual is going to be able to ignite and hit up more of the nervous system to respond to that and get a better uh, long-term and short-term result from that lift because the intent with which they have is going to take them further. So it's um, focused, specific, purposeful practice. And this is where the 10,000-hour rule, as it's become popular by Malcolm Gladwell uh, and Erickson's original work, 10,000 hours of rote going through something is not going to make you an expert. It is 10,000 focused, purposeful hours. And if you think about the average runner, that's going to take them about eight years, mm-hmm. not the five. If you're running, you know, full time a, a week, uh, or actually it should be a little bit longer than that. I did the math once, but it's like double the time for the average runner. Cause right. the run warm up. I, d- I just had this conversation with my triathlete, uh, my half Ironman and, and age group nationals for this coming year uh she came to me for strength training because she's like i just feel weak when watching her run i'm like it looks like you're just sinking into the ground there's no springiness and she's like what are you talking about i just float along i know i don't go that fast and i'm like no so the the neuromuscular system and this is where strength training it's not the weight that you lift it really doesn't it, nobody gives a crap how much do you bench bro or how much do you deadlift right it's time under tension and getting the response from those muscles and the system that is going to allow you to be able to kind of spring along the road, the ground contact time. And there's a, a great, um, can I mention another podcast? Is yeah, that okay? absolutely. Absolutely. There's a great podcast that just came out, I think last week, uh, with Vern Gambetta, legendary track and field coach. Um, cool story, bro. Uh, Actually coaching one of his athletes, uh, she was an athlete of his back in high school, and she's now a mountain biker. So I'm working with her, which is really cool. Um, and and pretty much the, the ground contact time, he has one that he just released called the Gains Podcast. I can't remember the number, but he talks about plyometrics. A lot of people, especially runners, we don't think about this. You know, Are you carrying your water with you? How are you carrying your water with you? That's going to affect things. If you carry the waist belt, which I do recommend... Although I tell my athletes only two of the small bottles. So you're only carrying eight ounces on you at any given time maximum because the added weight changes how the ground interaction forces are. This is where I don't know if it's been a problem by you, but people doing weighted vests, uh, hill sprints. Have you seen that at all?
1: I've, I've heard of it. Um, yeah, not, not the biggest fan.
0: Yeah, it, it completely screws your your mechanics. Everything changes. Um, you know, it's not like Play-Doh. Everything goes with (laughs) Play-Doh. Right. Um, parachute runs, same thing you're changing, you know, and this is where the speed work is important for runners as well, because now we're getting you up at that threshold of the neuromuscular system to be able to fire getting intra and inter, uh, muscular coordination, getting you into better positions. Um, part of my work is uh postpartum corrective exercise specialist. And I got into that because a lot of the males that I had, um, for triathlon, were awful runners and I saw more diastasis or separation of the abs in my 50 to 60 year old male triathletes than I did in the, in the women in their thirties and forties. Wow. That's interesting. This is ridiculous. Like, like they just can't run. Um, and, uh, Dr. Sarah Duvall core exercise solutions.com I think is her, her website has a, a great article on, uh, either five or, uh, four steps to running better every runner should look at and should be thinking about you know do your hips kind of dip down to one side uh are you tucking your glutes in front of you are your glutes uh your is your butt pushed out behind you are your ribs flared up uh, my triathlete just said to me i just now you know i always thought it was kind of weird because my ribs would pop up i thought i was just kind of broken but now i just realized my obliques were never mm. in their transverse abdominis. i could blank for two minutes but i wasn't actually in a feel the connection between my rib cage and pelvis and this is after four and a half months of of strength work sorry three and a half months of strength work Um, so I know that's kind of like a rambling answer different parts that come into this That as the average runner, like if you want to go out the door and just run, I think we all need that for mental health. We Mm -hmm. definitely all have those days where like, I cannot wait to put on my shoes and get the F out the door and just, just leave it. Like not taking my phone. I'm going to tuck the key somewhere so I don't hear it jingling because it's going to bother me and just go. We need those. I call those mental health runs. Take your, take your Garmin with you, take your Strava, put it in your back pocket so we can see what you did Mm because oftentimes we'll see that they do either really badly because they're thinking about things or they do really well. Right. And it's like how did you just knock out a, a 642 mile? Where did that come from? Oh, this project at work, I finally figured it out and like how do we do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's do more of that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes getting
1: rid of that that feedback um just just makes everything simple, you know, just ma- just makes just allows us to to just go and not and not get restrained. So, um, yeah, again, I mean, lots, lots of great things. I want to I shift focus just a, a little bit if we can, Brody, and, and, and dive into a bit more of, of some of the strength training stuff. But first, before we do that, uh, take a quick second and, and pay a couple of bills. Uh, thank the folks from Exoskin for continuing to support the show, sponsoring today's episode. Um, guys, you know, I mean, we've, we've been talking about Exoskin for, for several episodes now. Um, and and just really you know the, the big thing for me that, uh, that that makes exoskin well worth it and and again if, if you're new haven't had or, haven't heard about the product before it's we're talking you know socks uh, shorts tights compression gear uh, tops you know loose fit and and kind of you know kind of tight uh, form fitting, um, shirts, short sleeve, long sleeve, no sleeve, the the whole nine, basically whatever, whatever you need, sweat wicking, all of those, all of those types of things that you would expect from any type of, you know, good quality dry fit type of, of gear. Um, you know, my, my experience with, with some other brands in the past is that, you know, these things usually always work really well, um, when you first get them. And then, you know, after you've worn them a few times and, and washed them a few times, um, they just kind of start to lose a little something. And, uh, Come to find out, the reason that is is because, for the most part, the the dry fit and the you know antimicrobial and, and antifungal type of of properties that that pretty much everybody in in that market claims a lot of them th- those are things that are added to the fabric after you know kind of after the, the the garment has been created. And at exoskin, what they do is it's actually like bonded to the fabric before they make the socks or before they make the shirt or th- or before they make the the compression gear. Um, so what that what that actually means is you you literally can't wash. The, the antimicrobials, you can't wash the compression, you can't wash the, uh, the the stuff that makes it not stink, which, you know, not for nothing. That's, that's a huge selling point for me. If I can wear something several times and it doesn't stink, that's, that's a winner for me. Um, but you can't wash those properties off. So, um, you know, if, if you're looking at, into exoskin gear and, and you're like, gosh, I don't know, it's kind, of, it's kind of pricey, although it's not really outside of the window of most of the, the high-end dry fit gear, um, you know, one thing that makes it maybe a little bit more worthwhile, at least it does in my mind, is that these things are going to last if you take care of them and and you know don't don't blast them in a hot dryer things like that but you know wash them let them air dry things like that um, they're going to last for a long time and so that all of a sudden that starts to make the the price point not seem so quite so steep and you can also use the code DISRUNS, which will save you twenty percent on uh, on checkout um, on everything that you get and you know that makes the price a little bit more manageable too so if you you checked out Exoskin but you're kind of like, I don't know the price um, I'm telling you very much worth it. Um, long-term it's, it's not that expensive because you're not going to have to be replacing your gear every, every season or every, every year, something like that. So exoskin.us is the website. Use the code Dizruns at checkout. Save yourself 20% on, uh, what I'll say is the best, uh, socks and base layer that I've ever used. And I think that you'll agree with me once you get yourself some as well. So exoskin.us. Thanks for their continued support. So Brody, like I said, kind of shifting gears a little bit more um, into maybe some more practical stuff. You know, we've, we've been talking about things that, that I'm certainly interested in um, and kind of some of the, the science and, 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 the, the different Philosophies and different ways about going about training and and coaching and things like that. But for for those that are listening that that aren't coaches, and for those that are listening that um, are are you know looking for ways to improve their running, maybe to improve some of that springiness that we've talked about, or improve their their economy, uh, becoming more efficient runners. um, I've talked about strength training before as as you know it's it's valuable. It's it's something that, that shouldn't be optional for us as runners, and yet like I said in the in the intro if I'm honest I haven't always practiced what I what I've preached on that front you know I I fall into that camp of oh I just don't have enough time there's not enough hours in the day all that that BS that a lot of us have been guilty of telling ourselves um so you know kind of starting starting from from maybe the the beginning of of you know for for the people listening that that are you know, trying to, to improve their reach, you know, running towards goals, whether it's faster, whether it's run farther, maybe it's a combination of both. Um, you know, the, 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 first question, well, if, if my goals are to run better, run farther, run faster, I should run more. Um, and I'm trying to tell them and you're trying to tell them that no, yeah, running is important, but we also need to strength train as well. Why, why in your words, you know, should, should these people who are, you know, and again, I'm, I'm one of them sometimes as well, who don't put the time in in the gym don't put the time in with
0: strength training why is that so important So we'll start with two things. Um, Number one is joint position dictates muscle function. And this is something I talk about uh, ad nauseum in my strength training for triathlon success course on Training Peaks University because it's so important for triathletes to understand that. And I think runners actually even more so because the amount of pounding that you're putting into your body uh, on the pavement, hopefully you're you're moving back and forth from one side of the road to the other as it's safe because the camber Mm -hmm. has an effect as well as from very minimal concrete Everybody knows concrete's too hard. Asphalt's too soft. If you don't know that, you know it now. The more you know. (laughs) Ding. Uh, uh, Also with packed limestone. Really, it comes down to joint position dictates muscle function. So just because my bicep, we think of it as curling, you know, my arm to my chest, like the, you know, Saturday Night Live uh, wild and crazy guys. Mm -hmm. Um, We're here to pump. You up, you know, um, that's not the case. If I extend my arm in front of me, my bicep is now stabilizing my shoulder. But if my shoulder's rounded forward my head is poking forward, as you can hear my voice change as I get close to the microphone, that's going to affect how my shoulder is going to be able to function. Mm -hmm. So number one is joint position dictates muscle function. You want to be faster, bro or bra. Actually that came out wrong. Uh, (laughs) Didn't think that went through. Um, Advib is not a, a skill of mine, although those were hilarious. Um, <laughs> the, the thing is, is that if you want to run faster, the, the answer is, is that you need to get the joints into better positions. And it starts with strength training. But before the strength training, and I just had a piece on this on uh, Pez Cycling News on soft tissue work, we need to start working on, on soft tissue just a little bit. Soft tissue alone, stretching alone, strength training alone, and breathing exercises alone are not going to help you run faster. You need a little bit of each. Now, this is where it gets difficult and can get really, really challenging because so many people, like you said, don't have time. This is the time of year where it happens every single freaking year I have at least – and I don't carry a large roster, so it's actually a large percentage – between three and four – cyclists triathletes and runners are like hey i don't have time my mileage is going to go up my time's going to go up thanks bye and then three months later like why am i running slower i did all this strength training it's like well if you stop running for three months what's going to happen to your times yeah but that doesn't work like that actually it does um (laughs) So if you want to see results, number one, start with breathing exercises. I have two favorite ones for runners. Uh, number one, our hands overhead breathing, which I have uh, actually a short YouTube channel uh, or YouTube on. I can send over uh, if you like. Uh, it's simply where you're laying on your back, you use a foam roller or a pillow to support your hands overhead. Uh, it does two things. One, it helps you understand, wow, my shoulders and my upper back, my rib cage is very tight. I can feel my back hinging. If you're a runner and you have that where your ribs are kind of locked in, like our ribs Are are like the handles on the the beach pails, right? Or a a paint bucket where they should go up and down as you breathe. Mm -hmm. But most of us, because we're sitting during our day, or because our our pecs are tight because we're stressed, or we're just running with poor form, uh, it's leading to the ribs closing down, which means accessory muscles uh, are helping you breathe and and accessory muscles. So the intercostalis muscles are not working. They're little tiny muscles. Just imagine like little tiny spider webs in, be- in between your your ribs. They don't work as well. Um, you're going to have your mid back is not going to be able to flex and extend it as much. And when that happens, that starts to shut down your glutes and put them into a position where they're not able to fire properly. Um, this is where you can tuck your butt under, or you can have your butt sticking out because now your body is a fantastic machine, and that is trying to figure out like, hey, how do we keep doing what we need to do? And it adapts. I have a, a client who was in a, a bike accident. Someone doored him getting out of a cab. Uh, his finger, the, the last um, knuckle on his finger, his index finger won't work because mm. the body was like, oh, it's been three weeks. Don't need that. So we're just going to move on. And he's like, I don't even realize it. And the, the PT is very uh, painful because they're they're physically moving it and there's a lot of scar tissue there now. How does this affect you as a runner? The point is, if you're not using muscles, like Janda coined the term gluteal amnesia, and pretty much what it is, is you need to fire muscles to maintain that connection with your brain. As a runner, if you get your joints in better positions, you're going to see ease of pace, number one. And this just happened with my triathlete, where we couldn't get a lot of volume because she had some other stuff going on. Um, so we just worked on springiness, a little bit of jump rope, not a lot of touches. We're talking about like 80, 100 touches. So like four sets of 20 quick jumps Mm -hmm. but practicing being stacked and you should you should see i'll ask her actually if i can um if i can share those uh i don't know if if she will but (laughs) if you were to if you were to video yourself or you to think of somebody absorbing the ground instead of springing along like it was kind of painful to watch it was like someone just learning how to do double dutch where they're you know, the rope's going real slow and a lot of slack in it, whereas now it's, it's picking up pace. So she's learned how to deal with those forces and gotten the joints into better positions. Any runner can do this, but you need good breathing patterns and you need good joint position. And that comes back to the three jobs of muscles, which we haven't touched on yet. A muscle, when it comes to movement, has three jobs in the body. Number one is to protect a joint and that joint being protected is rarely, well not rarely, it, more often than not it's not the one that's obvious. Like mm-hmm. when your hip flexor seizes up, it's actually probably not protecting the hip so much as it's protecting the back because right. if something happens to the spine, now you're really screwed. So the body's like, we're going to sacrifice hip extension so we can still hobble along. Um so number one is protect a joint. Uh, a great example of me, my injury was exacerbated, dumbest thing in the world. Um, my new intern just went to get on the scooter behind me uh, to go to our evening sessions, and he accidentally kneed me in the back of my left hip, which I have the issues in. Didn't mean to, you know? And I was like, ooh, that is not good. <laughs> Sharp pain, the whole nine yards. Um so the next morning I woke up, my wife, it was so bad. My wife's like, should I call an ambulance? I'm like, no, I'm not dying. She's like, well, it doesn't sound, I couldn't move. I, mm. I physically could not move because my, my hip flexor, my psoas had completely seized up with the glute media. So any slight movement of my upper torso or my foot caused excruciating pain. So in that case, yes, it's protecting the spine, but it's also protecting the hip, the right. ball and socket joint. Um, and we see a lot of runners like this. Like the, the Tel Aviv Marathon was this last weekend, and one of the um, I can't remember one of the sponsors has a great ad. I should actually save that tab and, and you ask them to reuse it or just reuse it for for our purposes. They show you know the day after the marathon, and I think we we all know at least one person who's had that where you, you know you're crossing the street and you see the guy with the walker going faster mm-hmm. than you. Um, you know that's not normal. That's the fact that the body is going to respond to fight or flight. You get all the testosterone and everything else going. You're going to be able to keep going. But if you're not training the structures of the body, the musculoskeletal system and the fascial system, uh, a muscle is going to revert back to that number one job. Protect a joint. Number two is to stabilize a joint while an adjacent joint moves. So think about glutes. The glutes mm-hmm. aren't working for most people. The pelvic floor and the deep six, uh, the deep six are the muscles that make up the in, internal rotators, external rotators of, of the hip. Um, we won't go that far down to the anatomy, but uh, these all have to work in order for you to be able to run well. And most runners, just by the fact we sit all day, a lot of these are in too long of a position to do their job. And then our breathing patterns get jacked up. Mm-hmm. So the muscle's third job, which is to stay, uh, to move a joint, is going to be affected. So you're overusing your quads, you're underusing your glutes, you're overusing your lats, you have that excessive elbow throw um, where your arms are who knows where when you're running <laughs> and your torso just kind of goes you know, side to side. And we all think, oh, that, that looks nice. No, mm-hmm. you know, you should kind of glide along. Look at the best half marathon runners, the, the marathon runners. And keep in mind, Ryan Hall did a great piece for Outside Magazine um, a while back. Where he had started weight training and he he was done competing and people are like, Oh, look at Ryan, he's like bulking up. And he's like, Actually I'm a healthy weight. I'm at sixty kilos. Mm-hmm. When I was when I was competing, it's actually not healthy. It got to the point where I was around, I think he said forty-nine kilos, which is crazy right. weight. Like 120 He's like, I if if I went to stir the pot of rice After a certain point, I had a sore shoulder for four days. That's how unhealthy it was. Um, And as as the average runners, we have to keep that in mind. And he's done a great job of being very open and very transparent about what a healthy lifestyle is for an an ex-competitive runner. So let's boil it down to to three takeaways for you, the listener, right now. You're out there looking to race a PR or you just want to run until you're 70. If you have the joints out of position, the likelihood of arthritis – having uh, the connective tissue, the ligaments, which we, we can't really repair. Like once they're stretched, that's pretty mm-hmm. much it. Um, we want to get those into good positions to take the stress off and allow the body to do what it needs to do. So there's five exercises that I think that every single runner should do. And really the answer, of course, Denny, is it depends. Right. So I may say, I think every runner, but you come into me, I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, <laughs> don't do that right now. But this is our starting point. Uh, number one, Um, is going to be a bird dog. And this is an exercise that I watch over and over again, like nails on a chalkboard being poorly taught. Mm -hmm. The bird dog as it's designed by Dr. Stuart McGill and his team were to protect the spine. There should be zero zip zilch movement at the spine as you go through. It should all be from the hip and from the shoulder. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a progression to get there. So I also have a, I think it's nine minutes. It's a longer video on that, but it's actually most runners I put in there, I'm like, all right, let's do a bird dog. I mean, automatically flexion extension of the lower back. Like right. on my back hurts, it's like, really? Hmm, uh, check out this video. And I put a dowel on their back so they can see how much they're rotating. They're like, holy cow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's number one. It's the proper level and the proper execution of the bird dog. And it is very, very hard. Um, I've done it with a number of high-level athletes, runners. And the next morning, I get a text or a phone call or an email like, is it normal for my obliques to be sore? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cause you, you, your internal obliques not doing the job. Um, so that's number one bird dog. Number two is the McGill curl up. Um, I'm going to do a hard pitch for my video and Dr. McGill's video because 99.9% of the videos on YouTube and in the internet for the McGill crunch are completely wrong. Not even close. Like Mm. we're talking Los Angeles and the Philippines. (laughs) Uh, An an ocean apart. (laughs) Literally. uh, and a completely different culture. (laughs) You think about how far Mm. that is. Um, And uh, so you want to make sure you're doing those properly. Uh, Number three is going to be the side plank. Now, the cool thing, Denny, about the side plank is actually most people do it wrong. The feet should not – be stacked. Mm. That was an artist mistake. Um, I heard this from Dr. McGill a number of years ago when I first learned from him in person. Um, Pretty much what has happened uh, is a picture was sent to a... um, to the the publisher and the artist drew it as he thought he saw it but really the feet should be split the top foot should be forward okay so if you're on your left plank the right foot should be forward if you're on your right side um the left should be foot should be forward because eventually we're going to take you into where you're rotating uh, and using your lats to stabilize your lower back along with your obliques Mm -hmm. and using the external obliques and the glutes to produce motion And when we get runners, and this is kind of magical, you know, this is where the magic happens, as MTV Cribs would say, (laughs) um, is when you get to the point with these three exercises that you can do a set of 10 McGill crunches or curl ups holding for 10 seconds with great head position uh, and the correct musculature firing combined with bird dogs with a five second squeeze at the end for a set of Mm -hmm. 10 each side with good head position and the side planks for just 25 seconds each, 20 to 25, but you can rotate between front and side without breaking the rib and pelvis connection. Mm that's when we see a lot of PRs, a lot of how the heck did I do that? I had no idea that's within me and oh, my back and knee pain has completely gone away. You've magically saved me. No, it's physics. It's science. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so those are the three big ones that I'd recommend everybody start with. And then two others that I really like, cause we like to have that feeling of stretching the hamstrings. Really that's just releasing neural tension that goes away after 20 minutes and then you have to stretch them again. <laughs> but a great exercise to tie everything together is called the inch so this is where you kind of start off in a push-up position. Feet in small steps, keeping the knees straight or very slightly bent, I should say, until um, you feel a very gentle hamstring stretch. But you're not focusing on the hamstring stretch; you're actually focused on lifting the hips up towards the ceiling. So what this is doing is teaching you a hip hinge, uh, which is very important. And then you slowly walk your hands back down uh, into the push-up position till a kind of plank sensation, uh, P-L-A-N-K, not pulling, right. uh, plank sensation in the midsection. Um, so that's another good one because it gives the the runner the feedback of like, oh, I'm stretching my my hamstrings, this is great, but you're teaching them rotary stability. And when they see their hips flopping side to side as they take the steps forward or backwards, they're like, Whoa! And you're like, Well, think about it. How do you think you look running? And then the light bulb goes off because now it's very obvious for them. Um, or if they want to be difficult, they're like, Yeah, but I don't run on my hands and, and toes. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the last one would be a single leg hip lift where you have a water bottle or a tennis ball at the lowest rib, the smallest rib. You pull the knee from behind the knee. So your hands are, uh, your fingers interlaced behind the knee on the, on the hamstring and you don't want that water bottle or tennis ball to pop out. Um, this is gonna get you to be able to fire your glutes and see your obliques. It's more of a test, but as we know, any exercise can be a test. Any test can be an exercise. Um, but it just really allows that light bulb to go off of, wow, I'm really using my hamstring or, whoa, I have no stability uh, for my hips. Um, so those would be the five that I'd recommend to start with. And from there, keep it simple. You know, I call them the fundamental five plus one human movements. Push, pull, squat, hinge, press, and rotary stability. Um, there's a seventh one, which is walking. Um, I just don't include that because we're runners. We're, we're doing it pretty much anyhow. <laughs> right. But any strength training session you should be hitting all six of those. Or if you want to go the Dan John approach, whom I, I really like, you should be pulling, hinging, and putting something uh, overhead uh, and carrying heavy something each time you hit the gym. And you can make a great workout. You can have 10, 15 minutes. We have kettlebells here. My wife does a kettlebell or a TRX workout, usually three to four days a week and two runs, sometimes three, if I can uh, actually get my hip to to feel good enough to go with her. But um. When we go off for our runs, we practice springiness. We're working on jumping, uh, or, or I should say hopping. Hopping is when you're on the same foot. Bounding is when you're kind of doing uh, right, left, right, left, right, left. Uh, and we'll just work on creating stiff. Runs aren't that long, but they're fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not talking sprinting. You know, you come back and <gasps> it's we're in that threshold pace um, or the upper aerobic pace. So we're getting the metabolic uh, things that we need in order to see you know, that, that cardiorespiratory, that fourth pillar of fitness, uh, to progress and that's it. It's simple. It's, it's sinister. If you will, if you want to take mm-hmm. that from Pavel, you know, simple, sinister kettlebell. Um, but the kettlebells are my, my go-to, it takes up less than a square foot in your house and it's a complete gym. If you learn how to move properly.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I think that's, that's, um, one of the most important bits and, and maybe kind of where we'll wrap this up because otherwise we're going to keep, We, I, I could keep going for, for hours. And I don't know that, uh, that that's, that this is the right time for that. Although maybe that, that means we need to do a round two at some point, but yeah, something simple like a kettlebell. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, you can do just about everything with it. And, and for everybody who's, who's like, Oh, I don't have time to go to the gym or I don't have, you know, I, I don't want to get a gym membership, you know, one or two months of gym membership will buy you a couple of different kettlebells and there you go. And, and like you said, Brody, a, a square foot, two feet, something like that in your house, uh, you can find spot in the, in the closet. Get rid of one of those old pair of shoes that you haven't used in, in six years. Put your kettlebells mm-hmm. there and, uh, mm-hmm. and you got yourself. You're good to go. So as, we're, as we're wrapping up, Brody, I, I, uh, like to kind of close with, um, something a bit more, uh, open-ended, um, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, kind of, I, I call it a philosophical question, but it's basically just like, kind of like the introductory question, kind of something that's, it's pretty short and sweet. And, as far as a question goes, you can answer it whatever way you want. So it's kind of, we'll get off of the, the strength training bit a little bit, uh, now, but, um, and kind of go back to, back to the running side of things, um, you know, we, we talked uh, again both before we started recording and, and in the the recording itself that you know running has been kind of a, a hit and miss thing for you as far as you get going, you're feeling good, and then an injury crops up, your hip doesn't want to cooperate, things like that. Um, with with that kind of being being the case, um, and and I know that you're working towards a, a a race this fall and 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 continuing to make running part of your life. What would be your um ultimate running goal? Like, if, if, would it be a race? Would it be a distance? You know, if if, if if you could get the stars to align and the hip to cooperate and all those types of things, um, what would be your, your kind of big, you know, bucket list running item, if you will.
0: Great question. Um, it's tough cause there's so many different things that you can do with, with running. I, I think it's just the ability for me to go out and, you know, I, I, ideally, I know this is kind of fast, but I'd, I'd like at some point to run like a 10-minute 3K.
1: Mm.
0: Asking a lot considering where I am <laughs> right now. Um, but, you know, even if I don't get to 3K, even if I can just do 1K, you know, I, I firmly believe that everybody should be able to run in some capacity. And that's what we talked about at the beginning. You know, despite movement deficiencies, if you water the human body properly – and, Denny, there's a whole other – like we need to do one on, on women specific physiology and training because they're, they're b- between the luteal phase and the follicular phase, that first half of the cycle, the follicular phase and the second half, completely different. First half, they're like men. Second half, they're completely, uh, we need different things uh, to help women recover and actually just to perform. Um, I think my, my goal is 10 minute 3K um, and to feel good doing it. Even if I don't do a, th- a 3K, even if I can do it for only a K. I'm content at this point you know my you know they say as you get older your your innate uh, desire to compete and prove yourself kind of goes down the motivation I don't feel that way. I, I think that I'm just as competitive. I enjoy the process. And none of my injuries have been because I've done something really stupid except the one day I decided I was going to run down to pit from my parents' house. It was May. It was 87% humidity, hottest day of the year. I think 92 degrees at that point and hyperventilated and took a half hour ice bath so I didn't need to go to the hospital. Um, aside from that, none of the running injuries have done anything that I've done wrong. It's just my body doesn't handle it, doesn't handle those stresses. So yeah, I'd say a, a 10 minute 3K you know, I firmly believe I'm going to get there. It, it may mean that in you know a decade or two or three or four, depending on uh, how medical uh, technology progresses, I might need some new hardware. But I, I'll get there. You know, right. um, and if I don't, totally cool. Just not part of my path. But I'm going to be out there running when I can. Um, honestly, you'll never see me running a marathon. Like I'm, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, a half marathon, maybe. Uh, it just doesn't appeal to me personally. But that doesn't mean that the other people that it has value for uh, it's not a, a hell of an accomplishment. I think it is, um, just not for me. You know, kind of know know your thing.
1: Yeah, well, and that's and that's one of the the things I love most about the the sport is that there's so many different avenues. You can do ultras. You can do. You know, a 1K, a 3K, 3K, a, a two mile race, like whatever. Like, there's so many different options. So you just find what, what works for you and what you enjoy, and pursue it. And so, certainly, want to uh, to thank you, Brody, for taking the time today, and, and certainly wish you, uh, you know, obviously nothing nothing but the best on the on the health front, the the training front, the business front, all of the things. Uh, and definitely, uh, I know there's a lot of stones we left unturned today. So hopefully, we can yeah. saddle up and, and do this again sometime. But uh, and, until we until we circle back up, guys, if you want to check out, obviously, Brody's a, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, like we said, humanvortextraining.com is the website. HV training on most things social or search for human vortex training. It's going to pop up on on all the platforms: videos, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. Dizruns.com/slash six nine nine. We'll we'll link to some of the some of the videos that uh, Brody mentioned, but it'd probably be impossible to link to. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be impossible, but uh, there, there was a bunch. So there'll be all kinds of resources: books, videos, all the things. Dizruns.com/slash six nine nine. So. Uh, Brody, thanks for uh, for taking the time, sharing some knowledge, um, hopefully uh, inspiring some people to to think about more than just the running, uh, because I think we kind of just tend to get tunnel vision and get, excuse me, get focused on distance and pace and things like that. But breathing, recovery, strength, training, stability, uh, things that are so important. So thanks for sharing. Uh, And certainly, like I said, oh, and one other thing, guys, don't forgot to mention earlier, we didn't get to talk to it because we covered so much other stuff. But if you're looking for another podcast, especially for those of you that are, are more triathlete focused, uh, the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast is Brody's new podcast. So check it out on uh, wherever podcasts are sold. You can find it there. Give it, a, give it a like. Give it a subscribe. Give it a listen and, and give Brody some feedback on, on how you like his show. Because it's still like literally as we're recording this, there's three episodes out there. So it's, it's brand, brand baby new. So check it out. Don't want to forget to plug that. So uh, Brody, thanks again thanks. for the time today uh, and wish you nothing but the best going forward.
0: Thank you very much. Look, looking forward to coming back again. This was a lot of fun.
1: All right, guys. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation between Brody and myself. And as per usual, be curious to know what stood out to you from this episode. I know there was a lot of... of uh, different talk than normal today, but uh, hopefully something stuck with you. Hopefully something uh, kind of made you think a little bit or made you reassess a little bit, especially from a strength strength training perspective. You know that I'm uh, a big fan of strength training, and you know there's there's a lot of different different ways you can go with strength training, different exercises you can do, and it's something that I'm working on putting together, and, and might get Brody to help out a little bit as well with with some some guidelines, some ideas, some suggestions. But uh, the the takeaway for me today. Along these lines of strength training, um, something that I, that I knew, uh, something that wasn't new information for me, but it was just a, a really great reminder of how important the core is to us as runners. Uh, if, I, if I'm honest, I've, I've been pretty good with my strength training this this year so far, 2019. Uh, I think I've missed one or two strength training sessions uh, you know that were that were scheduled, I only missed one or two, uh, which is well ahead of my goal this year for, for 80% success with doing strength training. However, I haven't been doing much core specific work. Um, And that's, you know, just this, this conversation with Brody was really a good reminder that I need to, to do some more core work and also a good reminder, although I don't know, I mean, we, we talked, talked on it a little bit, but that just doing planks, planks are a great exercise, but they're not the only great exercise. There's a lot of, of other things. And of course the reminder that your core is much more than just your abs, so if you're doing core classes, uh, you know, you've heard me talk about Peloton before and, and how I use their a lot of their strength training workouts as well. A lot of their their core workouts tend to focus a bit too heavy on the abs for my, for my liking. They're not focused on the back. They're not focused on the obliques. And all of those muscle groups are vitally important to work your core, uh, not only just to have a strong, stable core, but that's like what Brody was talking about, kind of important for us as runners, for transferring energy, for, for going from one, you know, from top to bottom and, and, you know, one side to the other, having a good core is a strong core, a stable core is important. So, uh, that was definitely a good takeaway for me today. A good reminder that working, working the core needs to be a part of my focus. Um, and maybe that's something that needs to be part of your focus too. And again, core being more than just your abs, more than just doing planks um planks do get a little bit of everything involved but there's more to it than that and definitely you know like like some of the exercises brody talked about the the bird dog is a great one um but something that we all need to remember to work on work on our core uh, it's definitely going to serve us well as runners, both performance and for injury prevention. So that was my takeaway. What about you? What stood out to you for this episode? Let me know. Shoot me a tweet. Shoot me an Instagram message at DizRuns on both places. You can also shoot me an email, Diz at gmail.com. And of course, you can head over to show notes for today's episode, which is Diz slash 699. Staring right down the barrel of 700. Diz slash 699 for today's show notes. We got links. We got We uh, got photos. We got Cliff's notes. We got everything you need. Dizruns.com slash 699. And you can obviously leave your thoughts, feedbacks, comments, and takeaways there as well. So, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. Don't forget exoskin.us for uh, all of your base layer socks, shorts, compression, shirts, tops, needs. Um, and uh, once again, a shout out to them for uh, supporting the show. Exoskin.us is the website. Use the code Dizruns at checkout to save yourself 20%. So with that we'll go ahead and, and wrap this thing up for today thank you once again for listening hope you enjoyed this episode uh, and until next time please be well take good care uh, thanks again and we'll talk soon see you guys